Welcome to Federal Insights, sponsored by Risk Recon, a MasterCard company. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is John Errett. He is Vice President of Strategy and Risk for Risk Recon, a MasterCard company. John, good to have you with us. Good to be here, Tom. Thank you. And our topic is supply chain risk management, supply chain risk mitigation when it comes to software, a big issue for the federal government, a big issue for really everybody. But as the biggest software buyer, the government has the most at stake here. And we should really begin with Executive Order 14028, a couple of years old nearly now, but uh, enhancing software supply chain security was specifically called out in that. And let's begin with your best general advice for agencies trying to make sure that they're good with enhancing software supply chain security? You know, I think at the end of the day, what it really comes down to is, is, is gaining situational awareness of, of that software supply chain, right? And, and maybe that's sometimes easier said than done. Um, you know, in the security world, we have the idea but uh, of trust but verify. And I think when it comes to stuff like the software supply chain, we do an awful lot of trusting and not much verifying, right? It's, it's different than the other stuff where we do full-blown audits and all that sort of stuff. We've, we just kind of accepted it as it is and you know oftentimes installed things and that sort of stuff um, but obviously we, we can't go down that path anymore uh, as far as strategies obviously you know the use of um, software bill materials to understand what makes up all the components of your software and then from there I think we can actually kind of go back to where we kind of rely on um, and use tools in the, the traditional third-party risk world not just focusing specifically on software but you know, once you know what makes up that software, the different components of it, who those suppliers are, then you can start to take a look at those those companies themselves and kind of gain a sense for what their hygiene looks like, right? You know, you can try to do assurance work. You can use continuous monitoring tools to assess those organizations. And at the end of the day, we really have to make that determination of, you know, can they be trusted for, for what they're providing to us? Do, can we... Um, do they take security seriously enough that we don't have those concerns that when we're putting something on our network, uh, to run that that it's going to be as advertised, right? It's it's not going to be something that uh, you know we expect one thing and, and we get something else, right? So I think that's from a, from a basic strategic standpoint. How do how do we tackle um, fourteen oh twenty eight? It's it's really about gaining that situational awareness and then kind of using the tools that we've already had at our disposal to assess traditional vendor relationships. And once you understand that software bill materials, start to tackle it much the same way. Yeah, the idea of third-party risk management is fairly common in industry for everything else people buy or deal with. And so, therefore, the implication is you have to stop thinking of software as like a gallon of milk. But, in fact, it's many, many, many components just like a vehicle is or something. Absolutely. And absolutely. And in the past, many people that that were already performing third-party risk management oftentimes left out those software suppliers because you weren't giving them data. You weren't given them access to systems in many cases. So they were left out of the equation and just basically left to be an internal risk. Um, but I think, you know, the way the world's changed and, and especially through the executive order, we, we can't think of it that way anymore. We have to start to be more proactive and, you know, there's challenges that come along with that, but hopefully we'll find ways to tackle all of that. Yeah. And so what do you ask of your suppliers? How do you get started with this? What do you, how do you get good with the executive order, but even more important, get good with actual supply chain security in the right. soft supply chain? Right. right. If, if you're good with the supply chain security, then you can kind of use those lessons learned to then do what you need to from the software supply chain piece. Right. So, so there's best practices from third-party risk management as a practice that you simply need to make sure you extend to. Absolutely. Absolutely. The, the challenge there is 
most third-party risk programs are tend to be a little bit uh, resource constrained. And now we're going to ask them to take that, you know, multiple steps further and start looking at the, the software piece of that. Um, and that's where different tools and, and, you know, not just solely relying on the human that really comes into play. And software has a lot of qualities that we care about. Reliability, does it do what it's supposed to do? Does it operate in a way that uh, protects us from outages and, you know, the need to invoke, uh, you know, continuity of operation? From Absolutely. A, but let me ask from a national security perspective, does that come into this? Does it rise to that level, do you think? Yeah, you know, I think it does. You know, if in the um, in the traditional non-federal world, right? If I'm talking regular corporate America, we we, worry, we are concerned with kind of are my investments worth it or not? Am I am I pouring money into the right place? Um, and that, that's really kind of the same thing. But in the in the federal world, we're looking at it more from a national security standpoint, and it's not so much about did, did I put the right money in the right bucket, right? We want to protect the the national security, and really at the end of the day. You know, vendors, suppliers, software suppliers, they're really all agencies' new perimeter, right? You know, we spend a lot of time, money, and effort to, to secure agencies, much the same way we secure corporate environments. We, we put firewalls and all these sorts of rules in place, um, but then we install software from a third party. We send data out to that third, to a different third party, right, to, to perform services for us. And if any one of those is the weak link, all the money we spent, the time and effort to secure that internal network that we cared so much about is really for not. Right. So in the case of the federal world, it becomes even more different because that could be a national security issue. Uh, it's not so much, hey, you know, my banking details were exposed, something like that. It, it could be something that actually has an impact on the national security of the country. Um, you know, something like another solar winds through, through the software supply chain could lead to a breach of critical government systems by nation states. Right. Um, you know, critical infrastructure shut down. When that happens, then we start to see basic necessities. Uh, that, that get hampered and, and the destabilization potentially of the government, right? We saw the, the colonial pipeline, which is sort of a, a different spin on this, it was really a ransomware event. But think if, if something like that happened, um, you know, in, in the federal chain and, and something was completely shut down, what that effect had. And with the colonial pipeline, we saw gas pipelines and, and gas shortages in the, in the Southeast. But if that happened, you know, in, in the, the federal network, there could be some major implications for, um, for, the country as a whole. And, and if we're talking about a traditional vendor where maybe they have government data, like something like the Department of Defense who relies on, you know, countless third parties, that's why we have the CMMC uh, thing that's been put forth. You know, they're relying on those things to help produce warfighting equipment. And what happens if that data gets exposed and suddenly, you know, nation states have access to secrets that we don't want them to. If you ever, if you ever look at a, a, the Chinese stealth fighter, it looks an awful lot like the stealth fighters that we have. You know, maybe just different paint job, and that—that's the sort of thing. That's that's a real-world national security impl implication of of um, supplier and and even software supplier risk. Sure. Yeah, they added an engine, but otherwise yeah. it's pretty much the same. Uh, same a red star and an engine, and it's like the same thing, right? You know? <laughs> but what you say when you mention solar winds brings up an important point, and that is not only is it important that the components that are going into your software build, your bill of materials, are themselves secure, right. but that that vendor itself is secure in its own 100%. supply chain. 100%, right? Because that that if you can't trust that vendor to be to be secure, to take care of the source code that maybe they're they're using to build their application, um, you 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 can't trust that application any longer. Right? In the past, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have thought twice. We would have just put it on the network, and now we have to we have to ask those hard questions. 
Right. It's almost like a chef. You want to make sure his or her hands are totally clean, but you also want to make sure the lettuce is clean because right. you know where it came from. Yeah. And you know, you kind of think like I have, I have kids with allergies and um, with food allergies and you kind of have to be that person now that says, well, what's in this? Did, did, you know, not only is there, is there peanuts in this, but did you cut peanuts with the knife that you're using to make my meal? Like you, you have to know everything about what's going into it. That's, that's the world we live in now, unfortunately. And for the most part, it's a matter of self-attestation on the part of the software vendors nowadays to, for agencies to be able to get at least that far in right. saying, people saying, yes, this is safe. I'm not sure who would tell them, no, this is not safe, but here, go ahead and buy it. But Not anybody from a marketing department that's worth anything, right? <laughs> right. So how do you verify these claims? And you know, is there a way in which they can be trusted depending on the vendor? You know, self-attestations are, are, are a necessary evil in, in this environment, right? There's, it's kind of the way things work, but can we trust them? Yes and no, right? You know, I, I've, I've filled out these sorts of attestations before. You, you tend to want to paint a really rosy picture of everything that's going on. So you, maybe you cherry pick evidence and that sort of stuff. So, you know, in, in short, can we fully trust them? No, we actually did a, a study um, here at Risk Recon talking to third-party risk programs and, and asked them if they felt that self-attestation security questionnaires were, um, were accurate in depicting the, the effectiveness of controls in an organization, only 34% said yes, right? So that, that should tell you something. Um, you know, as far as how do, we, how do we tackle that, I think you gotta utilize a, a vast number of tools and it doesn't have to be, maybe not vast is the wrong word, maybe a, a, a subset of tools, um, not just one single tool. And the, the single tool in my mind is just the attestation. Are you doing this, yes or no? People take it as gospel, but I think you have to validate that, right? You know, if, um, if you're talking to an organization and you're asking them, do they patch their systems? If they say yes, they might give you a, a copy of a patching policy and a screenshot. You have to determine if that's an effective control on a really small subset of information that could have massive real world implications. So I think in that regard, I, I tend to advise people, if you're, if you're building a program that's going to do traditional third party risk, that's going to look at software supply chain risk, build it like a Swiss army knife. Right, you're going to have a couple different tools at your disposal. It's it's going to be a combination of that self-attestation, something that can help validate the attestation. Um, you know, things like continuous monitoring tools, which are going to tell you if the hygiene from the outside matches what they're telling you. And you know, the questionnaire are they are if they say they're doing patching, are they really doing patching? What does it look like? So I, I think we, um, you know, while they're great and they're a necessary evil and they'll probably never go away, the attestation is is only as good sometimes as the paper that is printed on, unfortunately. And, sure. I, and I know I know the people filling them out for them that they don't want to hear that answer, but um, unfortunately we, we can't live in the world where we're doing much the same we were with software before that that small amount of verifying and a lot of trusting. We, ha we have to do an equal mix. And to be fair, I mean, software companies might believe their own self-attestation, but they themselves oh, sure. may not be totally aware of their own vulnerabilities. So that's why you need to get into that whole verification business. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We're going to get into more of that in detail, but first we're going to take a short break. My guest today is John Errett. He's the vice president of strategy and risk for Risk Recon, a MasterCard company. I'm Tom Temin on Federal Insights, measuring cyber risk in your digital supply chain, sponsored by Risk Recon here on Federal News Network. 
Have you been hit with a crippling cyber attack that stemmed from a third-party vendor? Executive Order 14028 calls for changes in cyber supply chain risk management to help agencies work with vendors more securely. Risk Recon, a MasterCard company, gives you the visibility to understand and act on risk in your cyber supply chain, giving you the clarity you need to do business with vendors who meet all compliance standards. Don't wait. Learn more today at riskrecon.com. Welcome back to Federal Insights, measuring cyber risk in your digital supply chain, sponsored by Risk Recon, a MasterCard company here on Federal News Network. My guest today is John Arrett. He's the Vice President of Strategy and Risk for Risk Recon, and I'm Tom Temin. And let's get down to some of the technologies and tools you specifically need. We were talking about self-attestation, that everything is hunky-dory by software vendors, which is okay as far as it goes. But I think they want to be verified, if nothing else, for their own knowledge. But you as the software buyer, the agency as the software buyer, needs right. a little bit more than that. So let's talk about some of the specifics of making sure that that supply chain of your software is, in fact, secure. Sure. And, and I think the, the first one that, that, that everyone will start with is going to be that self-attestation. Um, as much as we say that it, it might have some, um, some holes in it, you know, it's, it's a point in time sort of thing it still has some value and, and it has some things that, that traditionally we'll always have to do. Um, but I think you marry that with things like, um, you know, a, a continuous monitoring tool from a cyber perspective, that's going to give you kind of what happens in between those point in time assessments, the, the validation of, of uh, what they're telling you in that self-attestation. Uh, things like, you know, negative news is, is, is something going on at that organization is, is the CEO, under indictment, did the CFO sell a bunch of stock right before something you know bad? Those sorts of things. Um, you know, what, where do we stand from a, a geopolitical risk standpoint? Uh, financial risk and, and financial risk. I think you know, coming from the cyber world, we, we tend to want to stay away from financial risk. But when you really start to think about it, um, if we're talking about uh, criticality of applications, right, and, and the availability of them, oftentimes in this world we care just about the, the breach of information. But if we start looking at the availability side of things, you know, if we have a, a software supplier uh, for an agency that's maybe it's a critical supplier, something that they rely heavily on, that organization undergoes a say a, a ransomware attack, and they're not, you know, they're they're not viable for the time being. If you marry that information with the financial risk information, maybe that that particular software supplier was kind of tenuous when it comes to a, their financial health. Um, so now you got to start to wonder because of this cyber event, are they going to actually go out of business? And then suddenly we have a hole um, that, that we can't fill because it's critical application that that, that company no longer exists. So I think you got to start to get creative um, in what you're doing. I actually used to use data from, from cyber tools to, to start to forecast hurricane impact on, on my supply chain, which vendors might not be available to me uh, because of, of coming hurricanes and that sort of thing. So um, I think as organizations, we, we need to start to look at you know, having a, a, a subset of tools that you're using to kind of build that picture for yourself. It's not just one and done. Uh, it's a continuous thing because risk, risk isn't a once a year thing. Risk is, you know, it changes dynamically every hour or every minute or every day, right? Yeah. So in other words, the third, the balance sheet then, a third yeah. party look at some of those things and external events that are reported, especially if they're a publicly reported company that would happen to them. Any edge you can get to get that greater situational awareness, I think, is what's needed, right? And, and not everybody can go, you know, so far down the rabbit hole that they're going to get everything. But I think as far as you can bear going to get that 
level of situation awareness is what is what I would advise doing. And I guess if a company is in financial distress, that is a also a supplier to your agency, that could be an indication that to ask at least where might they be trying to save money. Right. And perhaps one more round of quality control, one last round of cyber checks. Maybe they right. feel you can dispense with it, or at least you could ask them about it. And, and, and oftentimes we see that bared out in the cyber hygiene of an organization when we're looking from the outside looking in. When, when they start to have financial problems, they start to invest a little less in the security team. Right. So then you start to see things that would have been in place previously. Maybe best practices start to fall off. Holes start to get opened up. Stuff gets done shoddily. And, and eventually you have another, you know, a breach of the software supply chain or, you know, a breach of the vendors themselves. And when you buy mechanical goods or physical goods, you can often stress test them, pressure test them, in place test them, you know, stress them, whatever right. this might be. Can you do that with software? And can you do that with your own tools that may not have been employed by the vendor? Yeah, I think in, in, in some cases you can do that. You know, if you're talking about tools that you're buying from, uh, from an assessment standpoint, I think any, any company will allow you to stress test their tools and see if they do what they need. Um, you know, as far as stress testing the vendor, I think it pays to be in, um, in kind of lockstep or lockstep with them, right? Get involved in things like disaster recovery um, tests and, and things like that and, and make sure that they have plans for all that sort of stuff in place. Um, help like, you know, oftentimes vendors sometimes are very niche and they're small and they don't have the capabilities that you're looking for. In those cases, be a partner, work with them, help them, help bring them along to make sure that, um, that you're helping to secure them. And, and really the net effect of that is the rising tide raises all ships. So you might be one federal agency that's helping a vendor to be better. And the net effect is you're also helping a bunch of other federal agencies be secure because they don't have to worry about that one particular vendor again. So but I also meant testing the code itself. Can you run? Oh, sure. That? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think um, that's not something that I typically get into. But yeah, I think you can, um, you know, depending on who you are, you can you can always get access to the code and, and stress that that sort of stuff. Sure. And we were talking earlier about their relationships with third party, second and third party relationships the vendors themselves might have that could affect what it is they deliver to you as the agencies. What are the challenges, you know, in understanding those third? second, third, even fourth level relationships, their subs and the subs to the subs. And yeah. So. Yeah. You know, I, I think the challenge is in, in many cases, um, you know, and it's really, it's really, I'll, I'll, I'll preface this with two, two ways to answer this. If we're talking a traditional vendor, right. It's a, a traditional supplier, not, not a software supplier. Um, in many cases, you have a direct contract with that, that supplier. You have audit rights to be able to go and, uh, you know, assess them, their security, make sure that they're on the up and up that they're, you know, financial health, all that sort of stuff. Um, but for their suppliers, your fourth party, you don't have any of those rights, right? You have to rely on your vendor, your supplier to do that for you. Um, and the, the challenge is being able to get visibility into those. If, if maybe if your vendor doesn't have a program to, to do that sort of stuff, how do you get visibility into um, those organizations? And you can do that through like, you know, things like a continuous monitoring tool where you don't need permission to assess a company. You can get at least some rough idea of what their cyber hygiene looks like just by pointing a tool at it and, and reporting back to you. When it comes to the software supply chain, it gets even a little more tricky because oftentimes, you know, we, we, we say in a traditional supply or traditional supplier relationship, the fourth party won't respond to your, self, your, your questionnaire, um, those sorts of things. In the software supply chain, oftentimes the software suppliers themselves, your direct relationship where you're buying from, well, you usually don't have any audit rights with them, right? You're, you're just, it's just a transaction. You're just buying a piece of software. You're 
they generally don't have the right to go perform a security audit of the company, see what they're doing, because many times they'll come back and say, well, you know, I don't have your information. There's no reason for you to audit me. I'm just giving you a piece of software. Uh, so in those cases, you have to rely on the, the other tools in that Swiss Army knife, the continuous monitoring tools, the, the negative news. What, what picture can I paint about the posture of this organization if they won't tell me anything? Um, and, and then you can, you know, the, the further you go, if it's fourth, fifth, I, I came out of the banking world originally, and they were talking about fifth, sixth, and seventh party, which is insane. Um, because the challenges that we face, not only about getting the responses to them, really also, we face challenges from a staffing perspective, right? Um, it's hard enough to assess our immediate vendors and our immediate software suppliers, let alone their vendors and their vendors and their vendors. So it's a, it's a, it's a really tough problem to, to tackle and to scale. Yeah, in banking, you could get as far down as, you know, who makes the ink in the passbook printing machines or something. <laughs> really Bank, banking, banking regulators, uh, if anyone happened to be listening from any regulating federal agencies, they're, they're definitely very prescriptive in what they want you to do. Uh, God bless them. But yeah, it's, uh, it makes it really challenging as a practitioner. I'll say that. And the other issue is so many federal agencies are putting workloads into commercial clouds their own software in a commercial cloud, but then they're using a lot of services that are software that are associated with the execution of that hosting and so on, the uh, infrastructure, you will, if you will, as a service. And then they're also buying software as a service directly, as right. opposed to buying a package thing you install on your own server. Very different situations that invoke a response on security. Talk about some of the issues for software as a service and for cloud hosting and the services associated with that. Yeah, you know, thing, things like, uh, you know, Amazon, AWS, Azure, uh, the Google Cloud, th those can be particularly challenging um, when, when you're trying to gain assurance of, of how something's protected, not because of Amazon, Google, or, or Microsoft, but a typical response that you'll get from a lot of um, suppliers when you're asking them, hey, are, are, are you secure? And they'll, they'll write right back and say, sure, we are. We use AWS, and here's AWS's SOC 2. Um, but, you know, we, we know as practitioners that the that model is it's really a shared security model, right? All SaaS stuff, you know, software services, cloud, cloud hosting, it's really a shared security model. The AWSs of the world, the Azures, the Google Cloud, they do their piece pretty well, right? You know, we very rarely see massive issues with on that side of the fence. But your suppliers also have a piece of that that they need to be, you know, they're, they're responsible for. And we, how many times Tom, have we seen in the past where Amazon S3 buckets have been exposed? It wasn't because Amazon, Amazon did something wrong. The people configuring the S3 bucket configured them wrong. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shared model. Um, and we can't just say just because the, the, the corporate side of it, the Amazon, the, the Azure, the, uh, the Google piece is good, that it's all good. We actually have to be able to look at both. Um, and you know, there's, there's ways that you can do that by going to ask specific questions that are akin to what you know, that the, your supplier's piece of it is. And how they're configuring things, and it's tough. You know, we we spent um, some time in 2000, uh, end of 2020, beginning of 2021, dealing with sorts of things and putting together some some free material just to be able to do this for for customers because it is a challenge. How do how do you assess uh, something that's very specific? Um, you know, software as a service in general is is maybe a little bit easier because you can kind of look at. Um, you know, certain things, but even those, you might be dealing with a company that, that's a SaaS offering, but in, in the end, they're really also hosted by AWS or something like that. So um, just know that because they're hosted by somebody professional like that, a big name company doesn't necessarily mean they're secure. It's a, it's a shared model. One half probably is sure. good. 
know how to do the other half. I'd like to thank today's guest. John Errett is the Vice President of Strategy and Risk for Risk Recon, a MasterCard company. I'm Tom Temin. You're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Risk Recon. Thank you for listening to Federal Insights, sponsored by Risk Recon, a MasterCard company on Federal News Network.